0: And as I was uh, preparing the series on experiencing the extraordinary, so we're in part two of that. We shared part one last week. If, if you weren't here for that, I'd encourage you, please go back and listen to last week's message. You can find it online at connectionpointchurch.org. Uh, it answers the why behind what I'm going to enter into today in conversation with you. And as I was putting the, the series together, basically my reflection was, is I made a mistake two years ago. Uh, that we came here, Shelly and I, as the pastors of this incredible church. And uh, the mistake was thinking and coming to this place with, with a heart for the lost in the greater Lafayette area. We began to pray as we knew God was leading us this way. God, give us a heart for your people here. Give us a heart for those that don't yet know you. And, and as we began to uh, plan and think about, well, God, how are we going to affect change? How are we going to reach the lost? How are we going to see people grow in and, and you? Uh, we really just kind of reflected on, well, what we knew as pastor's kids growing up in the church, and, and so we relied on that to say, well, let's just continue doing what we're doing. Let's, let's go for it with Easter extravaganzas and pumpkin paloozas. Let's start doing men's conferences and women's conferences and, and believing that those things would help reach the lost and affect change in people's lives. And, but as we began entering into that and, of course, continuing to dive into the New Testament more and more, uh, we began to really examine, but what is the way of Jesus, if it's his church, and he says, I will build my church, what is his way? And what's, what's hard for us is we begin to look at scripture and examine and ask that question honestly. What we'll find is, is we may have gotten a little off track as the American church. I'm going to put church in general for a moment. And so what I want to do this morning in, in looking at what it takes to live an extraordinary life is examine the way of Jesus. That's really what I'm going to do. And what was his model? How did Jesus set out to fulfill God's big dream? Last week was Extraordinary Church, fulfilling God's big dream. And how did Jesus set out to do that? Because God sent him for that purpose. And then Jesus left the disciples to continue in that mission. And that's where we find ourselves today. That's we're the continuing story of that. And as we look at scripture, as we look at the New Testament and what Jesus did, the first thing we find is this, that Jesus established a place of belonging for the disciples. It all starts there. And so the the first point that we're going to head into this morning with is the understanding that you can have an extraordinary life by finding a place of belonging. You can have an extraordinary life by finding a place of belonging. As you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, what you're going to find there is Jesus selecting 12 disciples. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission to fulfill God's big dream, and then how does he intend to fulfill it? We should look at that. His method was by inviting a few people to follow him. That's what he did. Jesus' concern was not with programs and events to reach the multitudes, but with people. His concern was with people whom the multitudes would follow. Do you see the difference there? That's a big shift for us. Jesus started to gather a small group of people before he ever organized a citywide gathering or even shared his first public message. His first act was... I'm going to draw some people to myself. Here's the point you need to understand this morning. People would be Jesus' method of fulfilling God's big dream. People are Jesus' method to fulfill God's big dream. The initial objective of Jesus' plan was to invest in people who could share his story and carry on his work once he returned to God the Father. And it's interesting when you look at the people decided to use. It's interesting to look at their lives. At first glance, they really didn't seem all that impressive if you've read through the Gospels, if you've read through those New Testament books. None of them occupied prominent places in the synagogue. Most did not have very much in the way of financial resources. For the most part, they were common laboring men, people that you and I can identify with. They were impulsive, temperamental, easily offended, and they had all the prejudices of their environment. That's the disciples. In short, the people selected, that Jesus selected to be his mentees, they represented the average cross-section of society in his day. From our vantage point, this is probably not the kind of people that we would expect to fulfill God's big dream. They really aren't. But what Jesus saw in this group was a potential for leadership for the kingdom. What did he see? They may not have been the social elite, but they were teachable. They were honest. They were loyal, even obedient. Their hearts were big, and they had a sincere longing for God. That's who the disciples were. And what does that say to us this morning? What it says is, Jesus can use anyone who wants to be used. Jesus can use you if you want to be used. What I'm saying is this morning is, you're invited. And the question you've got to ask yourself, the question you need to answer is, and am I going to receive that invitation? Am I going to accept it? And how does Jesus use the disciples? How did he use them to fulfill God's big dream? Well, he started out by providing them a place to belong. What Jesus does is he makes it a practice to simply be with his disciples. Read the Gospels, that's what he does. Jesus says, follow me, and that's exactly what the disciples did. The disciples spent time with Jesus. That's where it started. So we've been working through the New Testament book of Luke uh, as a part of our regular ongoing series. We're going to head back into that series next week. And what you find in Luke chapter 6, we talked about this passage last year, as Jesus goes up onto a mountaintop, he prays all night, so he's in the Galilee, and he comes down and he selects the disciples. But what's interesting, not until later this year, as we continue in Luke, not until Luke chapter 9 does Jesus then send those disciples out. So our first call, you know, as we, before we can fulfill our primary objective, as people who make disciple makers, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to last week. Before we can fulfill that primary objective, we first are called to Jesus and his church. We're called to belong to God's family. Everything starts from there. That's the starting point. So if you've not found a place of belonging here, here at Connection Point, can I encourage you? Become a regular attender of weekend events. Attend more than two Sundays a month. Be here as often as you can because it's really hard to find a place of belonging if you're not consistently here. If you haven't jumped into a connect group this semester, can I encourage you, there's connect group guides in your seat back, grab that, find a group to jump into. Because it's great to come together on a Sunday morning, but if you really wanna start to find a place of belonging, you've got to get into smaller and smaller groups of people where you can become known. So I encourage you, start there. Find a place of belonging at Connection Point. Because before you can have an extraordinary life, you must find a place of belonging. And through, it happens through events and through groups. And the second thing we find for Jesus is that you can have an extraordinary life by believing in Jesus. You can have an extraordinary life by believing in Jesus. So I mentioned in Luke chapter six, Jesus invites the disciples to follow him. Luke chapter nine, he sends them out, and in that same passage, here's what we find in Luke chapter nine. Um, It says, now Luke writes, it happened that as he was praying alone, so Jesus is praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? So he's talking with the disciples. And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, the Christ of God, the Messiah, the son of God. So here we are, the disciples are chosen by Jesus. They're invited to follow him in Luke chapter six. They're with him for months, maybe up to a year. We really don't know the timeline for sure. But it's not until Luke chapter nine that those disciples confess Jesus as the son of God. And I don't know where you are all at this morning. Maybe you've come into the church and you still have say, I don't, I don't know if I really believe this Jesus thing. But that's okay, the first part is find a place of belonging and out of that you're gonna find a place of believing in Jesus. That was the method for the disciples and it's still true for us today. The way of Jesus is to find a place of belonging in order to believe in him to the deepest level. It's important. So how does that apply to us today? Here's what that means. It means we don't expect people to clean up their lives before they come to Connection Point. We don't expect people to have it all together before they walk in the doors of this building. There's no way. Actually, quite the opposite. Here's what I believe. I fully believe that people cannot experience change, that they cannot change their life circumstances until they've had an encounter with Jesus. That's really what we see. So come with your anger issues. Come with your prejudices. Come with your life-controlling issues. Come with your smoking addiction, your drinking problems, marital discord, and parenting shortfalls. Basically, come as you are. Come with tattoos. You're welcome in this place. You belong here. And I firmly believe, as you belong here, then you're gonna come to a place of believing in Jesus, and he's gonna bring the life change that your soul longs for. I firmly believe that. Now, as part of that, What that might mean is when you serve as a door host, you may encounter people who smell like cigarettes and alcohol, and that's okay. Our role here isn't to judge or condemn. Our job is to welcome people into this place, to welcome them into our lives and point them to the one who changes everything. That's our role in this process. We help people find a place of belonging so that they can enter into an environment where they can believe in Jesus. Are you trekking with me this morning? Does this make sense? This is how it worked for the disciples and it's how it works today. But now I do want to clarify what I mean by believing in Jesus. This is important because I don't just mean somebody prays something called the sinner's prayer and that's it, job done. That's not what I'm talking about. When I refer to someone believing in Jesus, what I'm talking about is someone who reads God's word and then has a heart to follow after that. What I'm talking about if you were here last week is a level five follower of Jesus, someone who obediently follows God's word. That's what I mean by believing in Jesus. My heart for you is to truly, wholeheartedly believe in Jesus, that you put him at the center. And what we know is is if you fully surrender your life to Jesus, then there's things you've gotta give up on. There can be no compromise. As we get back into Luke next week, and in the coming months, what we're gonna see is, we're gonna see Jesus explain what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of his. He's gonna give us a great description of that. And what we're gonna find as we get into those teachings is it's not for the faint of heart, no way. Jesus says some crazy things. It's good, but it's a little bit crazy. Because following Jesus, what it looks like to live in the kingdom, it looks very different than what we would hold up in the world today. Many of his initial followers, they liked to be with him when he filled their stomachs with bread and fish. But once Jesus started talking about the true nature of the kingdom of God and the sacrifice necessary in achieving it, many of those who followed him, they turned away. We find this in John chapter six. I'm gonna read that passage. I want us to look at that today. After this, what it says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Jesus starts talking about what it really looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And it says some of his followers turned away. And what I find interesting is Jesus didn't go running after them. No, quite the opposite. Here's what he does. Instead, he turns to the 12 and here's what he says. He says, do you want to go away as well? What? Wow, not like, man, I hate to see those people go. I I hate that they couldn't grab a hold of this stuff and and keep following with us. No, he turns to the 12 and says, do you want to go away as well? Because Jesus was confident in his mission. He was confident in his life purpose. He wanted to see God's dream fulfilled. And so then he was laying out what it looks like to see that done. But oh, how I love how Peter responds. Here's what Peter says. Peter says, After Jesus has made the statement, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. That's the kind of believing I'm talking about, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So when I'm talking about believing in Jesus, that's the kind of believing I'm talking about, that as we head into this year, getting into the tough sayings of Jesus and his teachings, that you're going to say, Jesus I know who I believe and I must follow you into all things because you hold the words for eternal life, that you don't turn your back on him as we head into what it looks like to be a devoted follower. That's believing. You cannot really follow Jesus for a lifetime without letting go of the world. That's what we need to know. You just can't. It's either you are at the center or Jesus is at the center. It's either the world has a hold of you or Jesus has a hold of you. Which is it gonna be for you? You've been following Jesus as a level four believer. Can I encourage you today to go all in? Become a level five follower by fully devoting yourself to Him, making Him the center of your life. Just as Jesus found blessing in doing the Father's will, He did. So you will find blessing in doing God's will as well. In fact, you will experience the extraordinary. You can have an extraordinary life by belonging to and by believing in Jesus. And you can have an extraordinary life by becoming a mentor. Jesus, as we look at his method in the the gospels, he was a mentor of mentors. He modeled for us what it looked like to fulfill God's big dream. It's helping people find a place of belonging so that they can believe in Jesus in deeper and deeper ways. And that happens as we serve as mentors for others. That's the model. So then how does someone become a mentor like Jesus. That was the question I started asking myself as we're diving into the gospels and looking at his method, how do we do that? And I really struggled how to figure out to accomplish that until I was listening to an interview last summer from a guy named Reggie Campbell. He's a part of a vibrant church in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a businessman, a layperson in the church and And he had a heart, uh, basically had a heart change that he was following after God. He would probably have said of himself, I was a believer in Jesus, but that was about it. I really wasn't living for him. And so his wife walks out on him. And after his wife has walked out on him, he has this encounter with God to say, oh, God, I need you. And when he finds God as a level five follower, he says, how can I help others live this way too? And so he started mentoring young adults and then transitioned to mentoring young men in their 20s, 30s, 40s. And he had a heart to do that. And as he was sharing in his interview for the last 15 years, that's what he's been devoted to. And it's been incredible for him to share the testimonies of how that's changed him, but it's changed the lives of countless, countless individuals that he's had the opportunity to mentor. He, uh, our, our leadership team, as we listened to this interview and began talking through this as part of the church, uh, we began to dive into what his mentoring process was and and we were then invited to go and have lunch with Reggie in Chicago, so a bunch of us went up there and had lunch with Reggie. And it was incredible to hear the testimonies, but I'll tell you what was, what was life moving, is to see the picture of Reggie with all of his mentors, with what, what I would call now mentors, with his mentees, of the lives that have been changed because one individual said, I want to bring others along in this journey. It was amazing. And as we talked with Reggie, I knew that this is, this is what we've been missing that we can find a place of belonging and believing in Jesus in church as we know it in the setting that we have. But I wasn't real sure that we're doing a good job of helping people become like Jesus so that they can bring others in the same. And so when we talked through this mentoring process and looked at what that would, uh, the implications for us as a church, we knew that this is what we were missing. Last week as we talked about fulfilling God's big dream and I gave you a paper that probably scared you that said, love your neighbors to the next level. Anybody feel like, Oh, uh, that's great. I have no idea what to do with this. You don't have to raise your hand. I know that everybody's gonna raise your hand. That's okay. And I said, come back this week because I wanna talk with you to, to share with you what it is that we are called to as the church. Because really the honest answer is, this is our job. Our job is to help you love your neighbors to the next level, to equip you to be the kind of person that when others look at you, they say, that individual has something that I want Jeremy has something that I want. Michael has something that I want. Jay has something that I want. That's what we should be doing. And so what I want to talk through is explain how we can do that. And maybe you weren't here last week, so I'm going to review that list real quick. So in case you didn't get scared last week, I can scare you this morning. We had this list last week. I'm sure we've got these papers at Main Street Theater if you want one if you weren't here. But I talked about there are five uh, kinds of people that we interact with on a regular basis. Five kinds of people in their awareness or commitment to to Jesus. And level one is they're antagonistic. They're hostile to the message of Jesus. And so what our job is to help them move to the next level, because that's what we should be doing, is to help them move from distrust to trust. And that happens simply as we befriend them and they begin to trust someone who's a Jesus follower to say, oh, well, I, I don't need to be antagonistic. And then they move to the place of at least being disinterested to say, well, I'm no longer hostile, but uh, I don't really care a whole lot about Jesus. And so then we have to move them from indifference to curiosity. And that happens as they become curious about Jesus because of the life that you're sharing with them. And then they have to progress from there. They would become explorers. That as they begin to become curious about who Jesus is, now they're exploring the Christian faith. They have questions and they're wondering. This is kind of the whole gospel of Luke, where Luke says, I'm writing this to theologians Theophilus, who has questions about who this Jesus is. And that's why we're walking through Luke. So if you've got questions, you're in the right place. So we have these explorers who need to know who Jesus is and they have to move from lost to saved. They have to to move from a place of not just being curious but to want to devote their lives to Jesus. And that happens as they see in you something that they want for themselves. And then they move to the place of becoming a believer. And believers have to move from self-centered to Jesus-centered. And that happens as we invite people to do that. So maybe you looked at that list and felt like, man, I don't think I've got what it takes to help walk people through that process. I'm not sure that I can fulfill the great commandment, the great commission, by loving my neighbors to the next level. And so this is what mentoring is all about. And so what I wanna walk through this morning is to explain to you that we're gonna launch a mentoring process here at the church that will launch in September. And you can ask the question, well, why talk about something now that you're not launching till September? Because to make this kind of shift, it takes some time. How many know when you... When you steer a boat, man, you got to flip that wheel, and then it finally starts to turn, right? So that's what we need to do this morning, and we want to do it right. So we want to pour into our mentors so that they have the capacity to pour into you as you sign up to be a mentee. So we want to take the time to do that. Um, so we're going to head into that in September, so I'm going to explain what that looks like. Uh, so here's what mentoring is going to be, and I'll, I'll tell you up front, the, the commitment to this is very real. But just like following Jesus is not for the faint at heart, so I'm going to tell you, jumping into the mentoring process, it's not for the faint at heart. It's a serious commitment if you want to do it. And it all starts with an application. You can go to connectionpointchurch.org. There's an online application there. If you don't have a computer at home, come into the church and we'll have you sit down and you can fill it out here at the church. And you could ask the question, well, why start with an application? Very simply, what we need to do through an application is assess your uh, commitment to Jesus and the church. This is really important. In fact, we have this instruction in the Bible. Paul writes about this to uh, someone who's a mentee to him, to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.2. So Paul, serving as a mentor for Timothy, tells Timothy, here's the instruction, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to what kind of men? Faithful men, committed men, who will be able to teach others also. So the first place that, that we're going to look at is, are you committed to Jesus and the church? And maybe you could ask the question, well, how do I establish commitment? How do I establish faithfulness? Well, I already mentioned some of those things. Are you here regularly on a Sunday morning? Are you involved in connect groups? Are you serving somewhere? Are you faithful to Jesus in the church? Uh, In other words, are you moving toward a place of belonging in the church? That'd be another way to put it. How else could you establish commitment? I shared in December a message on a season of giving. I talked about how giving matters in the kingdom because God gave his son and so we follow in the same. And so maybe you were a nunner, this is my description, a nunner and have you moved to become an occasional giver? Were you occasional and now you're a consistent giver? Maybe you were consistent, have you become an obedient giver? And if you're an obedient giver, a tither, have you gone to the place of giving generously? And why does giving matter? Because Jesus says that where your treasure is, there your heart is. So we can help guide the trajectory of our hearts through giving. Other ways that you could establish commitment is, have you become a member of the church? Have you gone through Ignite Ignite Connect Group, the membership class? You reveal faithfulness by creating a regular habit of reading your Bible and spending time in prayer, that's faithfulness. If other people were asked, in other words, if we contacted a friend of yours, would they say, man, this person is growing in maturity, that they display what is Jesus' fruit, that they're growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. So those are all ways that we are gonna look at to say, hey, are you committed to Jesus in the church? now knowing commitment's a prerequisite in the mentoring process, some of you here today, that might need to be your starting point to say, you know what, I really need to find a place of belonging here so that I can be equipped to be a mentor. And why does commitment matter? Because here's what I know, you won't learn everything that you should, you won't gain everything that you should if you're not already committed to Jesus in the church, because it means you probably won't be committed to the mentoring process. It also means the other mentees in your group, they're gonna lose out because you're not gonna be involved in that group in the way that you should. So commitment matters. And that's where you've gotta start. So start by filling out an application. Then once we have figured out how many mentees uh, that we're gonna have, what we're gonna do is invite some of our level five followers of Jesus that are here in this church. We have a great core of people here at the church. We're gonna ask if they'd be willing to serve as mentors. Once we know how many mentees that we'll have, then we'll know how many mentors we need. All of our church leadership are obviously gonna serve in that capacity. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna give them the list of those that have applied to say, these people would like to serve in that mentee process. And we're gonna ask them, begin to pray over that list and then come back together. We'll all join together and talk about who would be in each group from that list. Now, maybe you'd ask the question, well, why, why don't mentees choose their mentor? I would just ask you from scripture, did the disciples choose Jesus or did Jesus choose the disciples? Jesus chose the disciples. It's in Luke chapter six. So again, this whole process, what we're looking at, is to say, Jesus, we see what you did, we wanna do it too, because we know in that your promises are fulfilled. So we're gonna follow in that same way. So then they're gonna come together, they'll select who's gonna be in their group, then they're gonna meet with their mentees to just ask them one last time, are you really committed to this? Are you gonna be at every meeting? Are you be committed to this group of people? And once they've confirmed that, then we're gonna do a summer connect group for our mentors to train them on how to serve in that way. How do you pour into the lives of others? How do you embody Jesus so that you can raise them up well? And then our our groups are gonna launch in September. So what are those groups gonna look like? They're gonna be a a group of six for men and ladies, that there's gonna be one mentor and five mentees. And when I'm talking about these groups, I do wanna clarify because we already do mentoring for our new believers, if you're unaware of that. When someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, then what we do is we match them up with one other person in the church so that they can journey with Jesus together. And so we already do that. So I'm not talking about the new believer mentoring today, I'm just talking about the men's and women's mentoring. So we're gonna have three kinds of mentoring, new believer, men's and women's, and I'm just talking about the men's and women's this morning. So what happens for those groups is they're gonna launch in September. And the mentor in that meeting is gonna share his story of where he has come, what his journey has been in following after God, how God has intervened in their lives. And then what he's gonna do is pass out a book Uh, Because the emphasis that month is on mentoring, that basically from the outset we want to explain why does mentoring matter and why are we going to do this? How are we going to equip you as a mentee to serve as a mentor later? So they'll give them a book, they'll give them some scripture to memorize, they'll give them a task to complete, and then they're going to send them out. And then they're going to come back in October and they're going to do something called a story retreat over a Friday night and a Saturday. And in the story retreat, all of the mentees will share their stories and the mentor will share with them, this is how you lay out your life story. And we wanna hear about who you are and what God's done in your life. So they're gonna share their stories. Those first two meetings set the stage for the rest of the year. The reason sharing stories is important is because we need to see where people are at to know where we go for the rest of that that time period through May. So that's gonna be October. The focus in October is on identity, And so then what's going to happen at that meeting is the the group will also go around and talk about their one-page summary that they've written from the book that they read in September. They'll rehearse the scripture that they were supposed to have memorized, and then they'll talk about the task they were supposed to complete. And then the mentor sends them out again in October with a book, scripture to memorize, and a task to complete. And then they come back in November. The focus in November is on uh, life priority or mission, And now they're going to just do uh, the same thing where they're going to talk about, give their one-page summaries, talk about those. They're going to uh, recite the scripture, and they're going to talk about the task that they were to complete. And then the mentor, he does the same thing, gives them their next book on what they're going to talk about for the next month, and then he's going to give them scripture to memorize and a task to complete. It's the same process. It's It's a meeting once a month. The other thing that they're going to add at that point is they're going to get together with uh, one-on-the-other guys, so one-on-ones, once a month, so that they get to meet all of the other guys one-on-one before they finish in May. That's the process. And then they're going to come back in December, and they're going to follow the same uh, model where they're going to talk about that book. So do that one-page summary, recite the scripture, talk about the task they were asked to complete. And then in December, the focus or the topic, uh, the mentor will, will decide that for the group, depending on the group that they're in. He'll decide that. So The process basically is a mentor guiding, pouring into the lives of five other men or women, facilitating real community between their group. Um, and then in January, we're going to follow the same cycle. In January, the focus is on prayer. In February, the focus is on marriage and parenting. In March, the mentor will choose a topic again. In April, the focus is on sharing the story of Jesus, kind of like what we talked about last week. And then in May, we're going to look at leadership as a way to prepare our mentees to be sent out as mentors. And then in June, the groups will come together and have a commencement picnic. That's basically the nine to ten months at a glance of the mentoring process. So it's a serious commitment. It's a serious commitment to a group of uh, five other people to say, I know that I need this for my spiritual growth and for me to look like Jesus and be prepared to love my neighbors to the next level. So in summary, here's the commitment. The commitment is to not miss a single monthly meeting. So every month you'll have a meeting. The commitment is to meet with each of the other group members one other time outside of the monthly meeting. The commitment's to read a book a month and to write a one-page summary to say, this is how I'm gonna apply this book to my life. It's to memorize scripture monthly, and it's to complete a task. Something like if you're a married guy, the, the task might be you're gonna spend the first five minutes when you go home simply talking with your wife. Do nothing else, don't, don't put everything away, just go talk to your wife for five minutes, check on where she's at and how she's doing. And so that's what the, the commitment is. These mentoring groups will lead you into a whole new level of belonging. Here's what's really important. If you have felt like connect groups are a great place to start, but you're having a hard time developing deep relationships out of them, you're right. Connect groups really aren't made for that. They're not built for it. Connect groups are an entry point of finding belonging into the church. They're not the ending point. Whereas these mentoring groups, this will be the kind of setting that we've been working to set up for two years now, where you can be genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. Because when you enter into that environment, when that's the setting that you're in, those three things begin to change your life. Genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. That's gonna come out of the mentoring groups. What I'd like to do is invite our floor host to come forward. They've got a paper for you to take home today to explain this process. Uh, So in case it would be hard to remember, we want you to have that paper in front of you of what it looks like. This is, for me, the process uh, that we find Jesus leading the disciples in and what he would ask us as the church to do as well. So there's four things. It all starts with a place of belonging. You see that on the, the mission cycle. So we had a mission for the church and it looked similar to this. It was a little bit different. And so we've changed that to say, we know this is the way of Jesus and so we want to follow after that. And so we're going to start by helping people find a place of belonging here at Connection Point. Come as you are. You're welcome in this place because we know as you start to rub shoulders with other people who know Jesus, then you're going to start to come to a place of believing in Jesus as the son of God. So that's this next step, the next step there, that you come to a place of belonging, you believe in Jesus, so that you can become a mentee or mentor, because again, Jesus was a mentor. Why? So that you can bring others through that same process or cycle. That's what we're going after. So take a look at that paper, you can take it home with you. Those are the four steps, which leads me to my last point, the fourth step, that you can have an extraordinary life by bringing people to Jesus. You can have an extraordinary life by bringing people to Jesus. There was a passage I had shared last year in in Luke chapter five, and this passage is really what set me on this trajectory to begin to ask the question, why are we not seeing rich and satisfying lives? Why are we not seeing greater things? Why are we not experiencing the extraordinary? Luke chapter five, verses 17 through 26, says on one of those days, Luke is writing here as he was teaching, Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee in Judea and from Jerusalem. So Jesus is sitting in Capernaum right now, right on the Galilee. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question your hearts, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, you are to say, rise and walk, Walk. which one? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who is paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God, and amazement seized them all And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. What did they see that was extraordinary? They saw a man healed, right? In fact, he was both physically and spiritually healed. But the question is, what started that process? How did that group of people, how did that crowd experience extraordinary things that day? It all started with a group of guys bringing their friend to Jesus. For that crowd to experience the extraordinary, those friends had to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus to be healed, spiritually and physically. And as we look at uh, passages of Scripture in the Bible, what we find is this is the method of Jesus. In fact, this is what we're called to. This is how I know this is our primary calling. Because when you look at the initial call of the disciples in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, here's what Jesus says. Follow me. From now on, you will be catching men. This is our initial call to Jesus. He says, I call you to myself so that you are equipped to catch men. And then we find at the very end, I read this passage last week, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus before he ascends unto heaven. So first words, you're going to catch men. Last words, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always even to the end of the age. So the disciples were called to belong in Jesus so he could equip them as a mentor. These were his mentees to say, you're gonna go catch people, you're gonna make disciple makers as a disciple maker, and you're going to experience extraordinary things. I've come that people might have a rich and satisfying life. I've come and you're going to accomplish greater things. But that happens as we fulfill what Jesus has has led us to do. Uh, And when you combine what we talked about last week, so I'm going to put these two things together for you now. Here's the process. This truly is the Jesus way. That when you combine these two things together, what this means for you is as you come into this place, you find a belonging with Jesus, and you begin to believe in him in deeper and deeper levels. That you transition from just a level four believer to a level five obedient follower so that you now then become and have a heart to say, man, I want to be equipped to love my neighbors to the next level, so I want to be a mentee. And then as you serve as a mentee for a nine month process, you're sent out to say, and now you are equipped to be a mentor for others as well. And so then you go into your workplaces, you go into your neighborhoods, your secondary setting, and you begin to love your neighbors to the next level. You start to love those level one antagonistic people who need to move from distrust to trust. You start to love those level two disinterested people who need to move from indifference to curiosity. And if you're not equipped to do this, those two levels, we never see in the church. Very, very rarely. So if we're not doing our job as the church, we're not equipping you to to reach people in that way, then we're really not following this process very well. We're not helping people move to the next level. We're really not loving God. We're really not loving people. But then as that happens, and you start pouring into the lives of other people in your workplace and, and in your neighborhoods, then those people who were level one and level two, they become level three explorers. You can hand them a your invited card. They show up in this place. They start to find a place of belonging in the church because they're rubbing shoulders with other people who love Jesus. So they start to believe in Jesus as well. They have a heart to say, I want more. So they get hungry for more of Jesus. And they say, and I want to help others find that too. So then they become a mentee so that they're raised to be a mentor and they go out reaching others in the same way. Do you see how this process keeps going? This is what it is to be the church. And what are we doing to live in that way? This is what we're committed to. But the challenge is, the problem is, many in the church today have created their own definition of what it means to follow Jesus. They've created their own definition of what it means to do church. And of course, that's a problem because we're not called to do church, we're called to be the church. For many, being a Christian simply means faithfully attending church on Sunday. That would be their definition, maybe even Wednesday if they, if they really are following after God. For many, being a Christian means living a good moral life. For many, being a Christian means giving to charity. These would be definitions. And here's what happens. Most Christians in the American church, they live in the top half of that circle. They want to belong because they want community in their life because God gives us that desire. They want to believe in Jesus because they want to have eternal life. But then they don't keep going around that extraordinary life cycle to say, and I want to become like Jesus and bring others in the same. And here's the problem with that. Because as we look at this passage in Luke chapter five, what's required for that crowd to have experienced the extraordinary? What had to happen? Those friends, that group of guys, they had to bring their friend to Jesus. And what I love about that passage, not only did that group of guys experience the extraordinary, but no, look back at Luke 5, 26, it says, we have seen extraordinary things today. As we all start to live out this as the church and start being the church, we all collectively, we all together start to experience the extraordinary together. Isn't that an amazing thing? And you might ask, well, well, how do you know that people define Christianity in this way? How how do you know that people define following Jesus in that way? Because I've never heard someone say, can you believe so-and-so? They've been in the church for 20 years and have never brought somebody else to Jesus. I've never heard somebody say that. Maybe you have, I don't know. I never have. Uh, I've never heard someone say, can you believe so-and-so, they they serve in church leadership, but they've never discipled another person into the kingdom. Nobody makes that comment because we're not holding each other accountable to that. And you want to know why this has happened? So here's why this has happened. Because the enemy will do everything he can to keep us from fulfilling the one thing that defines what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus. The enemy will do everything he can to keep you from fulfilling your primary calling in life. The enemy does not want you to fulfill your destiny as a disciple maker who makes disciple makers, he doesn't. The enemy does not want you to live like Jesus so that you can experience an extraordinary life, the rich and satisfying life Jesus promises. That's what the enemy doesn't want. But I can tell you what, we're gonna go after extraordinary living at Connection Point. We're gonna create a culture of mentoring here, equipping you to be all that God wants you to be. We want to make sure that everything we do fits together to produce life change. That's what we're trying to put together. Our desire has been to design a simple process, that's what this is, that moves you towards spiritual maturity. So it's before you, you're invited, will you go after it? And part of adjusting to the way, this way of life is then getting rid of the clutter, getting rid of that which doesn't lead people through this process. There's an understanding that sometimes you've got to stop doing something that's good in order to go after what's great. So then the question might be, well, what are some of those good things that we're no longer going to engage in so that we can more fully and completely lead people in extraordinary living? Uh, Things like Easter extravaganza, Pumpkin Palooza, men's conferences and women's conferences. When we've tracked those to see, has it in any way helped people follow through that process? For the most part, it really hasn't. Um, So what we're going to be about is investing in people more than events and programs. That's the bottom line. It's it's what Jesus did, and we want to follow him in the same And what's interesting in making those kind of decisions is then the other doors, it begins to open up for us. Uh, If you're involved in Connect Groups, one of the things we do in Connect Groups is we want people to serve together and we want people to have fun together. And usually what that looked like is every spring, the way we would serve together is by doing Easter extravaganza together. And then every fall, the way we would serve together is by doing Pumpkin Palooza. But now that that's not our emphasis, what happens is, is now we can begin to look to say, well, how can we serve our city? And so we started asking that question, and so some pastors and I, we went to go meet with our city mayors uh, for West Lafayette and Lafayette, and just asked that question to basically say, look, we have for a long time, we have a heart for the community, we've been doing things for the community, but we're changing our heart to say, we really just have a heart to do things in and with the community, and how can we do that? So both the mayors, they shared their heart to say, these are ways that you could help see our community changed. Could you jump in and dive in and be a part of that? And we said, yes. So now we're in the middle of compiling a list of for our connect group leaders, hey guys, this is ways that you can have your connect group serve in the city. Do you see the difference between serving for the city and in and with it? Do you see that? Does that make sense? So that's what, that's what we're going after. And I'll tell you, that's the church. That's who we should be as the church. And I'll tell you, you're invited. If you want to live an extraordinary life, you must bring people to Jesus. You must become a disciple maker who makes disciple makers. And maybe you'd say, well, I just don't feel equipped or prepared, and that's what this message is all about, to say, and nobody else does either. So we're going to start mentoring in September. So if last week scared you, may this week encourage you to say, we are for you. We want you to be all that God wants you to be. I'm going to invite the music team up as we close in song this morning. And the final statement is this, is that you can have an extraordinary life by becoming a mentor who brings people to Jesus and fulfillment of God's big dream. You can have an extraordinary life by becoming a mentor who brings people to Jesus and fulfillment of God's big dream. So the mistake I made two years ago was really this. I thought my primary mission was simply to reach the lost and the greater Lafayette community, but it's really not. My mission is you. My mission is everyone in this room this morning. Shelly and I's mission is all of you. Our church leadership team, their mission is you, to see you become all that God wants you to be so that you can have an extraordinary life. And so that's what we're committing to today, to say our mission is you, and we want to develop you in ways that God intends for you to be developed so that you can look like Jesus and bring others in the same. And I firmly believe that as we live that way, as we go after Uh, Jesus in that way, as we start to be the church in that capacity, that we will see the greater Lafayette area turned upside down in Jesus' name. That's Book of Acts. They said, they started accusing those people, aren't those those people who are turning the world upside down? How does that happen? You start following through that paper you've got in your hand to say, I want to belong so that I can believe, so that I can become and bring others in the same. And things will change. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And I want you to understand that you're invited. Everyone in this room is invited. I'm gonna be a part, our church leadership's gonna be a part, and I hope you are too. But it is an invitation. And so the way I'd like to close this morning is I understand that oftentimes you've gotta take a physical step to experience a spiritual reality. So if you this morning would say, you know what, I just really wanna become a level five follower. I really wanna go through this process. I don't wanna just belong and believe. I wanna become like Jesus and help others get there too. And if that's your heart this morning, I'm gonna invite you to come down out of your seat and just worship with us in front of the altar this morning just to say, God, you know, we we talked about being living sacrifices. So today we're saying, Jesus, I'm gonna be a living sacrifice. I'm not gonna crawl off the altar because that's a problem with living sacrifices. We like to crawl off. So we're gonna stay there to say, God, I'm committing my life to you. And I'm going to bring others in the same. So if that's your heart this morning, feel free to come. And don't feel like you're judged or condemned if you don't come. Because it's an invitation. And it's yours to receive if you want it. So let's sing. And let's come.